I have a brother, his name is Jason. A lot of you guys have met my brother Jason. He's crazy, he's a lot of fun, he's one of my best friends. Um, I'm gonna tell a story on him, like I often do when I teach, uh, but I want you to do me a favor this morning, actually. Jason sometimes listens to our podcast, and I thought it'd be pretty cool if we all said hey to Jason. So can you, I'm gonna say uh, one, two, three, y'all just said hi, Jason, okay? One, two, three. Hi, Jason. Yeah, I said it too loud, he didn't hear y'all, but. Um, <laughs> what's up, man, I, I hope you're listening to this. Okay, so. Moving on. Uh, when I was about eight years old and my brother was, I guess he would have been six, I did something pretty bad, okay? Um, well, there's probably a list of those things, but I did something. Okay, so here's what I did. I convinced him to run away from home. <laughs> Good big brother move, right? I was trying to help him out. What had happened was um, my mom and dad had done something you know, probably terrible uh, to make him not mad, or you know how kids are. And, um, and so he comes upstairs, and he's in our room, and he's crying about it. And I was like, you know what you should do? You should run away from home. <laughs> and he was like, really? I was like, yeah, that'll teach him. That'll show those old mean old parents. Uh, now, now that I'm a dad, um, my money's on my mom and dad. Like, they probably had it right. <laughs> But at the time, it felt like the right thing. And so here's the problem, though. Um, my brother, he was only six, and he didn't know how to run away from home. Me, as the, the you know, grizzled old eight-year-old that I was, I had seen some after-school specials, okay? And I had seen some cartoons, and I knew how to run away from home. And so I coached him through it. So I got, I was like, get your, get your suitcase. So he got one of those little, like, go-to-grandma's-house suitcases, like, with your initials on it and stuff. It's, like, this big. And uh, mostly a briefcase is what it is. And I put it on the bed. Okay, you're going to need socks and underwear and a staple. Okay, you're going to need that. And you're going to, you know what, you're probably going to need a blanket, because who knows when the next time you'll be sleeping on a warm, soft, dry bed. You're gonna need a blanket when you're sleeping in a ditch somewhere. You're gonna need, we're gonna, gonna get hungry. So we went in the kitchen, got some snacks, put them in there. You're gonna need some toys because you can, might get bored. And I wasn't completely irresponsible. Like we had some walkie-talkies. I was like, you take a walkie-talkie and some extra batteries and I'll take a walkie-talkie. And like, you know, if you need something, like I'll bring you a peanut butter sandwich or something if you need something while you're out, you know, on the field. Uh, so. So we got, them, we got them all set, and put, I, I, this is vivid in my mind. We got to the front step, like the stoop. We lived in this, like, uh, townhouse thing, and I was like, all right, go. He was like, where do I go? I was like, just start walking, and don't look back. And he was like, okay, and he, like, took a deep breath and puffed his chest out and just started walking, you know. And I just, I will never forget six-year-old Jason walking down the driveway with his little burgundy suitcase, dragging on the ground. And we lived in a cul-de-sac at the time, and so he got to the end of the cul-de-sac, and I remember he turned around and looked at me, and I was like, just keep going, man. You'll show them. And he walked like five more steps, and then he sat down on the curb and just started crying. I was like, ah. So I walked down the driveway, and I went out to him. I was like, what's wrong? He was like, I don't want to run away from home. I was like, all right. Well, things will never change around here, you know? If you don't take some action, he came back inside, and that was the end of it. So this past week, my, uh, my mom, and I was with, with my brother and my mom and dad for, for a while, and, um, and I told that story, and my mom, it was great. My mom was like, what? Like, I had no idea, because you didn't supervise kids in the 80s. That was not something you did. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I tell that story for a reason, believe it or not, because I want to kind of focus in on that idea of running away, of running away, because 
I think maybe you ran away from home. Maybe it was a, you know, a thing, a stunt like that, or maybe it was real. Like maybe you really legitimately left home and didn't come back and there was like negative stuff going on there, and I'm sorry if that happened for you. Or maybe you've run away from something else. Maybe you've run away from a job. Maybe you've run away uh, from a relationship, from a marriage. Maybe you're still running from something right now. It's a very real thing that we do. We, we try to put things behind us, and we just, we hightail it out of there because we don't want to deal with it, or, or, or we can't deal with it, or we don't know how. We, we run. And I think the thing that we all have in common is that on some level we've run from God. I mean, it's the littlest things being simply disobedient, if that's even a thing, sim- simply disobedient. Or, or it's like complex things, like deliberately, overtly pushing God out of our mind and going our own way. And whatever the case, I think this teaching today is going to be something that we all need to hear. We're in a teaching series through the book of Romans. We've been in it. This is our fifth week. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Romans chapter 9. We're going to get through 9, 10, and 11 today. We're going to be skipping kind of through those three chapters. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's totally fine. We've got some free ones we give away. They're on this gray shelf kind of close to the door over there. Or feel free to look it up on your phone. The scripture, of course, will be on the, sc- the screens be- beside me as well. But in Romans chapter 9, we jump in, and so flip over there, and while you go, let me kind of remind us, give us some context and some background. There is a major detail about the book of Romans that if you understand this one little detail, so many nuances of the book come clear to you, and this is the detail, that the context into which the Apostle Paul, who wrote this, is writing into is a context of a divided church. There's a church in Rome who, through a series of events, has find themselves split down the middle between Christians who were Jews before they were Christians and Christians who weren't Jews before they were Christians. So the Jewish Christians, in other words, they, they had Jewish heritage, Jewish nationality, and Jewish faith. They were persuading and trying to force the Gentile Christians, the Gentiles is anyone who's not a Jew, to live by Jewish religious code in addition to Christianity. So you've got the love, the faith, the grace of Jesus, and you need to live by Jewish religious law. And so Paul writes into this setting, and the first thing he says is, number one, that's not necessary, okay? You don't need Jewish code on top of Christianity. We've talked about that for like four weeks now. Uh, if you missed that, please do catch up on our podcast. It's, it's, a, it's a great book to study. And the second thing he's teaching is this. Because of Jesus, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. So will you please quit making this distinction? Like, that's a big thing that Paul keeps saying. Like, stop dividing, dividing yourself by these arbitrary lines because I have now made the field level. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, and he goes on to explain that in several different ways. But when we get to chapter 9, Paul's heart comes out because there's a question that really has to be wrestled with. What about the Jewish people? I mean, these were people who for generation after generation, as a nation, they sought God In fact, God revealed himself to the Jewish people before he revealed himself to anyone else. And now since Jesus has come, it's like, well, what about the Jews who didn't accept Jesus? Like, what about that? What about them? And and that's something that's been, you know, heavily talked about since. And it's something that's heavy on Paul's heart because he himself was a faithful Jew. You read through the book of Acts and you watch, he keeps up with his Jewish 
customs. Uh, he keeps his hair cut a certain way. He goes, he observes certain festivals. He's, he's very Jewish because that's his, it's like a, as a, an American and you get to another country, you're still going to be like, hey, it's 4th of July over in America. Like it's going to mean something to you. It's going to be a uniquely American holiday and you're still going to feel something. And so Paul felt that for his Judaism uh, and it's still something that many Christian Jews do today. And it's completely okay to kind of honor that heritage. And there's a lot of really, I mean, there's a reason why God asked the people to live this way. I mean, the code that they followed just for their dietary purposes was, was huge. It was very healthy and good for them and all those things. But what Paul was saying is you can't force someone to live that way. It's okay if you want to live that way. That's fine. I know Christians who have chosen to live that way and aren't, don't even have a Jewish heritage. It was really heavy on Paul's heart about his people. Uh, Paul was appointed the apostle to the Gentiles by Jesus himself. Which meant, uh, the, the word apostle means one sent with a message. So he's the messenger to the non-Jewish world, which is the vast majority of all known humanity is Gentile. And that's why we see him writing a book to Romans. That's why we see him in Ephesus and Philippi and in Corinth. We see him throughout the region of Galatia. So he's working with Turks and Greeks and Italians. We see him later in the book of Romans say, I hope to go to Spain one day. He's hoping to see the Spanish. And so like there's this whole, this is, Paul has a focus on reaching the Gentile people and he plants all these churches and he writes these letters, but his heart aches for his own people, the Jewish people who did not accept Jesus. And so today as we get into our text, I got to share a confession with you. This is a confession that I wrestled with for the last several weeks. A lot of times I read sections of the Bible, uh, like Romans 9 through 11, and I have this thought, this does not apply to me. I have that thought. And, and simply, this is why, because so much of Romans 9 through 11, a lot, of, a lot of the book of Romans was written to a Jewish community who was struggling with things that I don't struggle with. And I read that, and I'm like, this is, it's not, it's not for me. Uh, in fact, this is a common thing among Christians. They get to sections of the Bible, and they're like, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. It's not for me, I don't think. And so I wrestled with that. I didn't know what to do, but I, I kind of assigned myself this section of Scripture today. And I was like, I'm going to get to it. And so for this whole series, I've kind of dreaded this week. Because I was like, what do I do with it? Because I didn't know exactly what to say. Because as far as I know, my lineage is like Welsh, British, Irish, German, French. And I know that I'm 164th American Indian. <laughs> Throwing in a minority there, like, give me a scholarship. Okay, but like, I, I, I'm not Jewish. And so maybe you are, maybe you have some heritage. And so maybe this is something that would resonate with you more. But for me, I, rest, I didn't know what to say. But then something else hit me. I realized something. Paul wrote this phrase over and over and over in the book of, of Romans. You know what he said? There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, Chris. There's no difference. The things I'm teaching is going to come across to some degree to you. And so you need to dig and you need to find out what this means for you. And so I did. And I listened and I found some things. And so I don't know if what I found is exactly all that there is to find. Probably not. I hope not. Because um, I love to keep reading it and digging. But that's the backdrop of getting into Romans 9 today for me. Because I recognized the context that it was writing into, and I didn't want to just sit here and give a lecture on like, just so you know, these, this is what the Jews were thinking at the time. Because I want us to walk away and go, no, there's something for me here today as well. So, in Romans chapter 9, starting at verse 1, Paul is in anguish. He says it himself, my NIV Bible gives it the subtitle, uh, Paul's anguish over Israel. And so let's, let's feel, let's emote with him just a little bit this morning and see where he's coming from for his people. Verse 1. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. 
I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For if I could wish, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. So just think, for thousands of years, God has used this nation of Israel as the staging ground for revealing himself to the world. And he's done some mighty things for them. He'd even set it up so that he would come to the earth through a lineage in the nation of Israel. And so I love what he says. Theirs are the patriarchs. The patriarchs are the, the fathers of the nation of Israel. And so we're talking about Abraham and then, you know, and, and, and Isaac and Jacob. Eventually we get to King David and Jesus' lineage comes directly through King David. And so he's kind of remorseful over this. Like it was all supposed to be for you. And then now... So many of the Jewish nation had turned uh, a blind eye to the Messiah who had shown up. In fact, they didn't recognize him when he came, and they executed him. And you can feel the weight of Paul's people here. Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated death by the power within him, and then he showed himself. And guess what? Many still did not believe. Verse 6 it's not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they Abraham's children. I just want to remind you or tell you if you didn't know. Uh, Israel was, uh, a God, God gave Jacob the name Israel. So Jacob and Israel are the same person. And so this is Abraham's grandson. And so everyone who descended from Jacob or everyone who descended from Israel, that's who became the nation of Israel. He ends up having 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the 12 tribes. That's where the nation comes from. It says, listen, I love this. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Hmm. In other words, God's promise isn't just a freebie for anyone who happens to be born into the family. God's promise is a promise that comes through. We've talked about it over and over. It's throughout the book of Romans. It's a promise that comes through faith. Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And throughout the generation, it's those who believed in the promise. And so Paul is kind of saying, listen, it's not about the nation that they were from. It's about the faith that they were born, uh, that, that they adopted and that they had in God. This is where I want to bring uh, the story of running away from home back to the foreground, okay? Because... Uh, the nation of Israel was given everything they needed. And if you look through God's narrative throughout the Old Testament, it's like, God's like, I gave you this, and I showed you that, and I took you here, and I provided for you here, and I fought battles for you, and I won wars for you. Yet over and over, the nation of Israel, the individuals, not the whole nation, though sometimes it was the whole nation, the individuals in the nation decided to pack their bags, stand on the front porch, and walk in the other direction. And they pursued other gods. And the detestable things they did, the names of those other gods weren't just like, oops, I accidentally didn't worship Jehovah God. It was, no, like I deliberately turned my back on the faith of my ancestors and did something vile and evil and wicked. Some of the gods they worshiped required child sacrifices. Even some of the kings did that to their sons. 
They turned the temple of God into a house of prostitution for, for worship in that way. Like this, this is how, we're not, we're not just talking like a little bit of backsliding. We're talking like pack your bags and leave. And Paul keeps teaching in verse 14. So what shall we say then? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. This next section, this is all Moses. This is someone they would have highly respected. This next section is something we don't even like to hear, but this is what Paul says. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Maybe you caught this. The Jewish readers in Rome would have definitely caught this immediately. This is a reference to a story in the Old Testament of the Bible in the book of Exodus where Moses, one of their great forefathers, has this dealings with Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, and, and, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, listen, I want you to release all the Israelite slaves. There are like a million Israelite slaves living in Egypt at the time. And he's like, I want you to release these slaves. And Pharaoh says no. And so God allows Moses to do these miracles to, like, uh, to, to show his power and to be like, listen, I'm telling you, you don't want to mess with my God. You need to release his people. And over and over, the Pharaoh says no. And then it says that God hardened Pharaoh's hearts. And we want to say, like, what? God would do that? God would harden someone's heart? Would he just decide, like, no, I've had enough. I've given up on you. You're not my enemy. It doesn't sound like the God that we, we want to believe is God. Like, we all, because we talk a lot about God's grace and God's love and God's peace and God's mercy. But apparently, there is a point at which God looks and says, listen, if you're going to stand hardly against me, I'm just going to harden your heart. That's just a, a reality, and we don't like to see that, but there it is. And we wrestle with that. I know I do, and I'm sure that Paul wrestled with that idea. But then in verse 20, he just gives us a flat-out teaching. This is, Paul says, but who are you? A human being to talk to God. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why'd you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Again, we don't want to hear that. But here's the reality of God's sovereignty. He does what he wants. He is God. It is for us to find a way into his mercy. And not that it's up to us to find his mercy, but we, we need to not turn away from God and run from him. We need to say, God, I, I don't want to get so far from you that my heart grows hard towards you. I want to be in a place of your grace. I want to be in a place of your love. I want to accept your blessings. And so that's fair enough. But here's the thing. The story of God continues to come out through the book of Romans. And this is the thing. God's default is not hardening our heart. God's default is grace. And what he wants us to see is that, listen, there is a history of these people who turn their back on me. And I want you to know something. I still have not left you. I still have not forsaken you. In fact, Paul gives this poetic, beautiful section starting at verse 22. And I want to kind of just read it. Uh, let it just marinate in your brains. Maybe come back to it this week. You might want to circle this or, or go back to it later this week and just see uh, what more you can pull from it. But this is starting at verse 22. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath? 
prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Now, here's the thing. That's a lot. It's like deep. Like if you did like poetry in high school or college and you're like, okay, I got to write that down and draw like a chart to figure out what this all means. Like dig into that because he goes into a lot right there. And basically it seems like what he's saying is like, I want you to know, I put up with these generations of dis- disbelief and unfaithfulness. I put up with that. I bore that so that on the other end of it, there could be mercy for another generation. Constantly in the scriptures, we're hearing about this thing called the remnant. God always preserves a remnant, like a piece, a piece that he's going to take care of and guide to the next step. And there's hope in that. God's default is grace. And so he's going to quote some Old Testament stuff here. And again, if you were a first century Jew living in Rome, you would read this and it'd be like movie references to you. You know, you would just hear it and you'd be like, okay, I get it. Uh, I would encourage you to look at your footnotes in your Bible and go read the broader section of all those little sections that are, that are quoted there. But starting in verse 25, we're going to get a piece from Hosea. And this is really the only one I'm going to go into today. So you can look at the other ones on your own. But in Hosea, okay, verse 25, we're going to read it. Let me give you the story of Hosea in a couple of like bullet points before we read it. Because um, Hosea, if you, if you don't remember or if you didn't know, Hosea was an Old Testament prophet and God instructed him to do something really weird. God instructed Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. And he said, this is going to be an unfaithful woman. This is going to be a woman of bad reputation. I want you to go and I want you to pay her price and make her your wife, bring her into your house. He also had him adopt her illegitimate children. And after all that, God says, okay, you see what you just did? That's how my love for you is. Even though you're unfaithful, even though you are of ill repute and living a wicked life, I will take you into my home as my bride. And the mistakes that came along the way, I'm going to accept all those as my children, and I'm going to love all that, and I'm going to deal with you just like you are. I'm going to take I'm going to love you. Anybody want to sign up for Hosea's job? No. And the story gets worse, because after she gets in the home, and they kind of build a house, and he thinks everything's good, and she's like, she runs off again to her old life. And Hosea's like, What? <laughs> Well, I thought this was, this was a beautiful picture of what God does for me. Like, this is over now. And the guy's like, no, 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 it's not that easy. Sometimes it happens more than once. <laughs> Here's what I want you to do, Hosea. I want you to go find your wife again. I want you to pay her full price. I want you to bring her back home. I want you to remind her that she is loved. Remind her that she has a home. Remind her that you will not give up on her. And this is a picture of what my love for my people is like. Wow. If you're ever like, I don't want to read the Old Testament. Dude, there's some juicy stuff in there. And so verse 25 is a quote from Hosea. God says, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. Again, remember, so if you, if you were really familiar with that story in first century Jewish life, you would hear that and be like, oh, I get it. You're accepting the Gentiles. You're accepting me. Wow. And verse 26. In the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Have you packed your bags on God? Ever? Um, I mean, you're at church today. 
But I don't want us to just live in this illusion that just because we show up on church on Sunday that we're all good with God, right? Sometimes this is our therapy. Sometimes we show up because we're like, I just need a reminder. Sometimes we show up because we're hiding and we're just pretending because the rest of our family needs to think that we got it together. But this is between you and God. And so, you know, it might have just been some choices you made this week. It might have been some big things that you've done in your life. Have you packed your back on God? Maybe you had a big brother help you out, you know, lead you astray. Um, It might have even seemed like a great idea at the time. Let me run through some scenarios that might relate with you. Maybe for you, you've had moments in your life where you certainly dedicated yourself to Jesus. Like, I'm in. But since that day, that certainty has gotten a little wishy-washy, and, and there are days where you're like, I'm just not sure what I believe in anymore. Maybe that was you. Maybe you've lost sight of that. Maybe for you, uh, you grew up in church, or maybe with some foggy idea of what God wants from me, but like not specifically. Maybe your, your mom, your grandparents took you to church. Maybe you saw church on TV, you know, and you like saw that. And so like as a young person, you were like, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to do the God thing. But like as you've gotten older, you have kind of filed God away with fairy tales. You follow me? Like you're like Hansel and Gretel and Aesop's fables and Jesus. Like they all kind of go over in this category. Maybe, maybe you've packed your bags in that way. Maybe you've never had a moment like that until today. Like while you hear the story of Hosea, you're like, dang, that resonates with me. Like I have, I have moved into the brothel, but God has willingly come into that dirty place and got me. Or at least at the door saying, hey, I'm here if you want to come. And he's paid full price. He gave his life. In fact, God came to the earth as a human being named Jesus. Not because he wanted to show off, but because he loved us and he wanted to relate with us and give his own blood and his own body to give us a way back to him. We are the wife in the Hosea story. And God is the faithful husband and the good father who's come to call us home. Stop running. Come home. As our text continues, Paul talks a lot more about uh, the Israelites and things that if you were an Israelite at the time, or Jew at the time, you would totally resonate more with. And you can study it, and it's good. Um, But the more I read, the more I see that these layers totally apply to me. (laughs) Because if I get too comfortable up in my Christianity seat and look down like, well, those stupid Jews in the Old Testament, you know, or the pagans of the world who turn their back on God, and... Who am I to be pointing fingers at anybody else? When God is like, no, my sacrifice was for you, Chris. And then you fill in your name. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. It's all the issue of will we have faith in the God who gave us a path back to him. Look at Romans 8. I mean, sorry, Romans 10. Verse 8 through 13. This is probably the most powerful passage in the whole Bible. It's at least tied for first with like some, some others. But listen to this. He asked him like, what, what, is, what does Moses say about some things? What does the Old Testament say? He said, what does it say? But then he says this. But what does it say? 
The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your hearts. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you're justified. It is with your mouth that you profess and uh, your faith and you are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In week one, we talked about the reality of the division of the church in Rome. I mean, there was this this split between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. But what we said was, that hasn't stopped. Those divisions have continued. And that's why when you ride down the streets of any town in America or around the world, you're going to see lots of different church buildings. And many of them are going to be divided into denominations. And we've talked about, like, there was good intention behind most of those and all that kind of stuff. But what it also teaches us is that we are quick to divide ourselves. We are quick to find reasons why we're different. Now, here's the thing. One of the things that divides denominations more than anything is the answer to this question. What does it take to be saved? That's, that's the question. And there's lots of different parts of it. For, for many, it's like, what is the role of faith? Like, am I good enough to have faith? Like, there's this whole conversation. Like, is man even good enough to do anything? And like, there's this whole question there. And how far does grace go? Like, grace is good, but like, once you get your salvation, like, can you, can you eventually like lose it? Or like, does it, like, how far does God's grace go? And there's some things to be said on both sides of the aisle of that. This is a huge one. What's the role of baptism in the salvation process? Like, is it an all the way under the water thing? Is there a sprinkling thing? Is there a pouring thing? Should you do it before you make a confession? Should you do it after you make a confession? Like, if you mess up enough times, should you get baptized again? What about children? Should children be baptized? Is there like a baptism where it's just God's Holy Spirit and then there's one that involves water? Like, there's, and, and on and on the conversation goes with baptism. Do you have to attend church? Like, how many times do you have to attend church? Like, which Bible is the right Bible? Is there an actual authorized version of the Bible? Like, which Bible is the right Bible? And on and on and on it goes. It divides us. It divides us. And now, before I like, before you think, oh yeah, I'm right with you. Like none of that matters. No, no, no. Listen to me. Most of that matters. It's important for us to study it. We need to know what Scripture says about it. But none of it will get us into heaven. There is only one thing that will get us into heaven. Jesus. That's it. That's it. And when we stand before the Father and he looks at us and says, Jesus or no Jesus? I mean, this is the division. This is the only, now there's other things. I think that there's a lot of great teaching and I, I encourage us, but now, let's not divide the body of Christ over these things. Let's come together over them. Let's agree to disagree on some of them. Let's be like, man, I, I really think that that person's wrong. But the question is, do they, do they know Jesus? If we can confess that Jesus is Lord and we can live for him, that is the path to salvation. Here's the thing I know about the name of Jesus. Jesus, many times in his teaching on earth, he would encounter like demons, unclean spirits they were called. And when he would approach them, they would freak out because the name of Jesus is powerful. They would, demons would exit people's bodies by mentioning his name. They would beg. There was a group that was begged to be thrown into a herd of pigs so they could throw themselves off of a cliff rather than have to face Jesus. 
We studied the book of Revelation several weeks ago, and you look at the image of Jesus, this mighty general on a horse covered in his own blood because he has saved the world from all evil. He's cast all the evil into the pit. This is the name of Jesus. And Paul wants us to know this. If you have run away from home, if you have begun to turn and go the wrong way, there's a name you need to call on. You need to turn to him. You need to get on your knees and worship him. You need to go to him in reverence, and you need to say, Jesus Christ, I want to serve you. And he's not going to be like, well, well you're perfect. <laughs> Did you get it all right? Did you memorize the whole Bible yet? Let me see your church attendance chart. You got gold stars? That stuff's important. We need to be in community. That's vital. We need to be reading the Bible. We need to be memorizing scripture and storing it in our heart so that we don't sin against God. We need, we need those things in our life. But what he's going to want to know is, do you love me? Are you serving me? Have you called on my name? Jesus told a parable once about a father who had two sons. You might have heard this one. One son was... Pretty good. He was faithful. He was loyal. He stayed at the house. He did what he was supposed to do. But the other son, he just had a wild streak in him. So he goes to his dad and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance. I'm leaving. This son was the oldest son. And in that culture, you would get a double portion of your inheritance. So he basically takes two-thirds of his father's wealth. And he leaves the family homestead. And he goes into the big city. And he just blows it. He spends, I don't know how long, just partying and living the high life and uh, ruining his father's good name and wasting his father's good money, destroying his own character and his honor in the process. And, and in the story, you find that he gets to a point in his life where he's just like spent all his money. All his friends are gone. He's living in squalor, like he's feeding pigs for a living, and he's just like basically a homeless guy or something, just like got nothing, no one to call on. And while he's in this moment, he thinks, I am probably going to die here. No one cares for me. Maybe I could just go home, and I could grovel at my dad's feet, and maybe he would make me like a slave in his house. That's the only way out of this for me. So he prepares himself to go do that. Meanwhile, he has no idea what's been happening at home. When that son left, it broke his father's heart. Every day he would look to the street and he would wonder, is he coming home today? I wonder if he's okay. I wonder if he's safe. I wonder if he's still alive. And life went on at the house, but life was never the same for the father. He continually looked to the road going, is my son going to come home? Is my son going to come home? I hope my son comes home. And one day it happened. With his head down, the son comes walking up the lane and his father throws his arms out and runs to greet the boy. The boy is terrified that his father is going to be angry, that he's going to be just cast down with the servants and never allow back in, but he never gets a chance to say a word because his father hugs him and he wraps a robe around him and he puts a ring on his finger, which is a sign of great honor, and he yells out to all the household, my son is home, rejoice with me. He was lost, but now he's found. And he threw a party that night, and they celebrated because the lost son had returned home. 
We are the wasteful son. We are Hosea's wife. And we so often kind of approach God in this state of like, I just don't know if I can even get myself into it. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm worthy of worshiping God. I don't know if I want to take the time to do that. And meanwhile, the creator of the universe stands and he watches the road and he's like, is today the day? Are they going to come home today? And that might mean a lot of things to a lot of different ones of us in this room. You might have come home a long time ago and you're doing great. Praise God. Praise God. In fact, also there in Romans chapter, uh, is it nine or 10? But he says like, when we have that message, how are the people out there here if no one goes and tells them? How will, they, how will they ever have faith that they don't get a chance to believe? He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news. And so that's in that passage too. Like we have the opportunity to go share with the other brothers and sisters of ours who have packed up their bags and left. But maybe you're in a place today where you just, you got your bags packed. I see that you've come to church. That's fantastic. But you're like, you know what? Maybe I just need to move in. Maybe I need to get full in with God. Maybe today's my day. And I want to tell you something. God's going to say, rejoice with me. Let's throw a party. If that's you today, I want to tell you something. Today can be your day. Um, the scripture does teach that when we have decided to confess Jesus with our heart, one of the first things we can do is get baptized into his name. We have a pool across the hallway here. We can go baptize you today. We can do it in the ocean later today. Maybe what you need is to spend some time like just kind of talking with someone. Like, what does it even mean? Like, I was compelled by what I read in the Bible today, but like, what does that mean for me? And that's fine. You can have a minute to talk with somebody uh, here in just a minute, or better yet, set up coffee with them later this week and just really get into it. Wherever that sits with you, let it sit there. Let God work on you. But I want to close today with a section from Romans chapter 11. This is how Paul closes this section. Starting at verse 33. He says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.